Amen. You can all be seated. Hey, how, how many of you all went out driving in the flood on Friday? Anybody? Yeah, we did. I, I was at home working, and the boys are home from school, and they always like to be out right in the middle of the flood, so they said, let's go for a drive. I said, all right, I could use a breath of fresh air, so we run out in the rain, get in the van, and we got on one of those streets where the water is about that deep, and I can't drive slow through that. I got to make the, the water kick up on both sides, right? Not a good idea. I'll explain why a little bit more in the message. There are risks to going fast through high water, if you didn't know that with your vehicle. <laughs> we'll, we'll swing back around there. But I also saw an image of a vehicle in a ditch covered about halfway with, with water. And I thought, boy, you better be careful when you're driving in monsoon floods in Arizona. You've got to stay out of those ditches, right? And I, I thought about that. And I thought about, you know what, that's true driving in an Arizona monsoon. It's also true as we navigate our way on our spiritual journey through this fallen world. As we approach the return of Christ, who is coming again, we got to beware of a couple ditches. Even those of us within what we call the church by name. I go to a church. We've got to be aware of two ditches as we approach the return of Christ. One is the ditch of letting go of love. Letting go of love for God and love for, for others. The other is the ditch of letting go of truth. And Paul warns us about these pitfalls as we approach the return of Christ. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, he warns about letting go of love. He says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. And hold on, this is quite a list. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Beware of letting go of biblical love for God and those around. Also, he warns us about the ditch of letting go of truth. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Paul was already seeing it in his day. Are we seeing that today? Folks, letting go of love and truth. I briefly refer to Paul because Jesus, during Holy Week, on his way to the cross, is going to address both of those things, love and truth. And I want us to hear his words as he speaks, let's, let's first look at love. Verse 28 of Mark chapter 12. Mark 12, 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. You remember last week Jesus was going back and forth with the Sadducees? Here comes a scribe. You know what a scribe was? It was like the lawyer in that culture that interpreted the religious law, told everybody else what it meant. So he comes up. 
And seeing that Jesus had answered the Sadducees well, asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Now this was something that had been debated for centuries in the Jewish culture. Who knows how many laws faithful Jews see in the Old Testament? Anybody? 613. Yes. So for any of you parents whose kids say, man, you got a lot of rules, just take them to this and say, yeah, (laughs) you probably don't have 613. But there were 365 negative, do not do this. Some have said one, one for every day of the year. And 248 positive laws, things that if you don't do these, it's a, it's a sin of omission. You all know what a sin of omission is, right? It's not what the little girl in the Sunday school class thought it was. The teacher asked her class, what is a sin of omission? And the little girl raised her hand and she said, aren't those the sins we should have committed but didn't? No, 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 not quite. It's the it's things we're commanded to do by God, but we neglect to do. 613 altogether. And for centuries, they had been debating about which ones were most important, which ones were great or heavy, which ones were lighter or less important. And Jesus steps in here and in one moment just, just cuts to the core of it all. This guy says, which commandment is the most important of all? Verse 29 of Mark chapter 12, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now before we go on further into that, who knows where he's quoting from and what it's called among faithful Jews? Deuteronomy 6, and it's called the Shema, which means hear. In Hebrew, it starts, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If you go on YouTube today, you can find beautiful renderings of this, even set to music in Hebrew. It it gives me goosebumps when I listen to it. But even today, faithful Jews will say this Shema once in the morning and once in the evening. But what's he saying to start? Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is unique. He is the only true God, and he is a unity. There is only one God. How many of you know that Christians, even Christians who right, rightly believe in the Trinity, do, we don't believe in three gods, do we? No. We believe one God, three persons, because the Lord is one. But he goes on. He says, you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I'm going to confess something to you. When I opened this passage this week to begin my study and I read that passage, my first acquaintance with it this week, it broke me down. I wept because the Spirit brought this passage to life in my heart, and what was getting me was the word all. This is comprehensive. We are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, 
and strength. And I was convicted about how while there may be moments by His grace and in the power of His Spirit where that's true in my life, and how many would confess this with me? There are many where that is not the case. It hit me like a, a ton of bricks. It's all in the your, when he says, your soul, your mind, your strength, that's singular, it's personal. It's not enough that we're surrounded by a church of folks who love the Lord. It's, it's very personal. Where's my heart? Have I given him all in love? You say, what's... What's the meaning of these different words? Help me understand what heart and soul and all that is. And while there are slight differences among people, the heart has been defined by some as the control center. Not this beating thing in your chest, just is where your will, okay? Soul, that's your self-conscious life. Mind, that's your thought capacity. That's your thought capacity. And, and strength, that's your, your bodily power. The power within your, your body. Now, I looked at those and I said, let's test this out. Let's, let's make it practical. If I love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul, am I going to devote my time and energy to following idols of my own creation? No, I'm not because he has all of my heart and he has all of my soul. Let's go on. If I love God with all of my mind, am I going to be easily led astray by worldly wisdom? No, because I will be in his word. And even when his word differs with the world around me, I will follow his word because I love him with all of my mind. If I love him with all my strength, will, will I offer my body over to, to sinful practices. No, I will offer it all to him. Lord, take my tongue and use it for your glory as I speak today. Take my hands and use what I do for your glory. Take my feet and lead me in paths that bring you glory. It works. The, the second is this. Jesus says he doesn't stop there. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. That's from Leviticus 19. Let's give that the test. And we'll start easy and we'll work up, okay? So I want some participation. This is the easy one. If I love my neighbor, am I going to murder him? No, see, I told you that was going to be easy, right? Good job. No, in fact, I'm going to do quite the opposite. I'm going to serve him in ways that I have opportunity to, okay? What about this? If I love my neighbor, am I going to lie to him? No, I'm going to speak truth in love to all those in my life. Next one's a little more tricky. If I love my neighbor, am I going to envy him? No. I am going to rejoice before the Lord for the good that he is doing in my neighbor's life. Now, many of us are saying, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Is that the person next door? Like, we're at 7731, so is that 7729 and 7733? Is that all it means? No, it includes them. How do we know this? From Luke chapter 10, when the, when the scribe was asking him about this, 
verse 29, after Jesus had said, love your neighbor as yourself, says, the scribe, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And who remembers what parable Jesus told him at that point in Luke chapter 10? The parable of the good Samaritan. And you can go read it. I think most of you are familiar enough with it. But the, the punchline of that parable, the, the, the bottom line, Verse 36, at the end, Jesus looks at him and says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The scribe said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So when we talk about neighbors, one of the core questions is, what kind of neighbor am I to whoever crosses my path? It's, it's that big. And he says, love your neighbor. Don't not just love him. Love him how? As yourself. Now, how many of us love ourselves pretty good? We want something. We generally go and get it. We, we make it work for us because we, we build our lives around that. He says, think, think that way for the person next to you. What would they like? What do they need? Some of you have, have an opportunity to do this with us this week. We got a, a family in this church that got flooded on through this flood. Lemuel told me last night, you guys spent, what, two nights in the hotel because their house got flooded? So I talked to him last night, and we prayed as they were heading to the hotel. This week, I asked him, and he said they could use some help cleaning, cleaning up the outside of their property. I said, we'll get you a team. You just let us know when and where. So I'm going to send that out to the whole church email and anybody who wants to be a part of helping Lemuel and Amber. We're going to have a chance to practice this in real and in concrete terms. How do you want to be loved? Love your neighbor that way, Jesus says, all who cross our path. Verse 32, the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This scribe was on to something as he listened to Jesus that, that what's going on in here matters a whole lot more than any ritual we're a part of. Okay? He, if he knew his Old Testament well, he could have picked it up from there. Hosea 6.6 6 says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Or who remembers Saul? 1 Samuel 15.22, after he disobeyed the Lord, what did, what did Samuel say to him? Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Why do you say that? Because Saul's there offering sacrifices. He thought that would, that would fix it. No, you disobeyed the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. This guy was onto something. And I think about that today. And I think about, whoa. God cares more about how much of my heart he has than how often I show up here on Sunday morning. Do you know that? Think about this. He, he cares more about how I treated my spouse and kids, and I'll add those fellow drivers on the way in, than whether I hit that note in that worship song. Okay? 
He, he cares more about whether I love the people in this room next to me than how much I put in that offering basket. Now, it's not necessarily an either-or thing with any of those, but what I'm saying is he's looking at our hearts. He's looking at our hearts. Verse 34 says, When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. I think about this. Think about, if you've been with us, you've seen all these interactions with Jesus in different groups, and how many of them rejected what he had to say? How refreshing it must have been for him to hear this guy say, you are right. You are right. This guy, whatever motives he came with, he let him fall to the ground and received the word of Jesus. How far did he go with it? I don't know, but I think looking at his example ought to spark us to say, am I that way? When I encounter a truth of God in his word, when his spirit brings it to life in my heart and shows me where I need to apply it, Am I there? Well, I'll say, you're right, Lord. You're right. Have your way. Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I love this next verse. After that, no one dared to ask him any questions. (laughs) They tried and tried and tried again, and the wisdom of Jesus was unflappable. Now, he's going to go on the offense We talked about not letting go of love, and that's what that whole first part was about, love. talked about not letting go of truth. Now we're going to talk about truth, especially the truth of who Jesus Christ is, because it all hinges on that. If we get that wrong, we get it all wrong. The truth of who Christ is, verse 35, as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, who knows what the word Christ means? Anointed one. Okay? What's the Hebrew equivalent? Messiah. This is the the deliverer that the Jews were waiting for that was promised by God. Jesus says, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Of David. And most of them agreed that Messiah would be a son of David. Okay, this was all through the Old Testament. 2 Samuel 7, 16. God's promises to David. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Okay, that would point to the Messiah. What about Isaiah 11, 1? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Whose father was Jesse? David's, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. But most of them would agree Messiah is the son of David. The trouble was that for many of them, they stopped there. That he would be a son of David only and primarily a political deliverer. They hadn't gone far enough with their understanding of who Messiah would be. So Jesus goes to Psalm 110. Now, if you know your Bible, you know there are prophecies about Messiah all through the Old Testament. The New Testament is full of them. That's why we can never let go of the Old Testament, okay? Maybe you know Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, Psalm 22, which points to his sufferings on the cross, Micah 5, his birth in Bethlehem, Isaiah 9, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
He's going to take them to Psalm 110. Five times in the New Testament, it's referred back to as pointing to Jesus. Once in Acts 2, four times in Hebrews, and once right here. So actually, we're at six if we include this one. What does he go to in Psalm 110? Verse 36, he says, David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. He goes to David himself. Now, we can get lost in here if we don't know the Hebrew of this passage when it was first written. Okay, let's break it down. The Lord said to my Lord. Those are two different words for Lord in Hebrew. We don't see it in English. But in Hebrew, what that says is Yahweh said to my Adonai. Both of those are names for God, but they're different names, okay? So go with me. Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then he drives it home in verse 37. He says, David himself calls him Lord Adonai, so how is he his son? Now, let's sum it up because it's easy to get lost in these woods, and I don't want us to get lost there. What's he saying? How can this one be David's Adonai, seated next to Yahweh, and be David's son all at the same time? How can he be God and David's son all at the same time? That's what he's driving home to these folks. I think most of us know the answer. Looking back, Matthew 1.22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The only way he could be Adonai and David's son is the virgin birth. The virgin birth. God, man. Larry King knew this. How many of you used to enjoy the Larry King show, all his interviews that he would do with folks? He's a smart man. Somebody once asked him, hey, if you could interview anybody from history, who would you like to interview? One of the people on his list was Jesus Christ. And they said, what would you ask him if you sat down with Jesus Christ? Listen to his words. I'll quote said, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born because the answer to that question would define history. It would, it would change everything. It would change everything. But these guys had a limited and therefore incorrect view of who the Messiah was. And that limited, incorrect belief about Messiah kept them, many of them, from embracing Jesus as their own Lord and Savior, the only one who could offer them eternal life. And you can begin to see how important a true view of who Jesus is is key to the whole thing, right? How many of you know that that's being letting, let go of? Even among churches, even among professing Christians, have you seen it? Are you aware of the danger Who's heard of the Christian musical artist Gungor? A few years back, they wrote a song called Beautiful you may have been familiar with. 
he has let go of the truth about who Jesus is. Let me share, share something Carolyn showed me. I was online this week. July 23rd, he's on Facebook. He said, I'm getting canceled again by the evangelical right for this tweet. Let's see how Instagram feels about it. Smiley face prayer sign. What tweet on Twitter did he feel he's being rejected by the evangelical right for? Here's, here's what he wrote. Jesus was Christ. Buddha was Christ. Muhammad was Christ. Christ is a word for the universe seeing itself. You are Christ. We are the body of Christ. Now, that last one is the only one when understood biblically that's correct, but I'm not sure how he even understands that one. He has let go of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. The comments were interesting. One of them said, how did you go from beautiful things to this? I've known you were a more progressive Christian for a long time, but this isn't even Christianity, man. I am sorry to see someone who I used to have so much respect for deconstruct so hard. Praying for you. Praying for you. Just let go of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Everything hinges on a true understanding of who Jesus is. Because listen, if he is Lord of all, if he is God in flesh, then I owe him all of me. Goes back around to where we started. Think about last week. We talked about who we owe things to. We, we owe Caesar some things. Render to Caesar what is due to Caesar. But to God what is God's. We're in his image. We owe God everything. Do not give all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength to Caesar. Give all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength to God and God alone. Now, you think about these great demands that Jesus is putting out there earlier on. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what he said to the scribe after going through all that? Luke 10, 28, he said, do this and you will live. Let me ask you a question. Knowing the Bible, if you know your Bible, was Jesus wanting this man to go out and, and try to earn his own salvation when he said that? Do this and you will live. What was he doing? He was wanting him to take an honest look inside and say, I cannot do this. I need help. I, I need a Savior. Right? Because anybody honest would admit we don't do this on our own. So how do I? It starts when we throw ourselves at the feet of the cross. The foot of the cross. When we realize that the, the Lord of all that we're talking about, the God-man, virgin born, crucified and resurrected, ascended, is also the servant who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It drives us to the foot of the cross. We admit we need forgiveness. We admit I have not loved him with all of who I am. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. The Lord of all came seeking after you and me. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. 
Max Lucado has a powerful way with words. He, he brought home this seeking side of God. He, he told a true story about a gal in Brazil who grew up in a small village. Her name was Christina. She got tired of the small village and wanted to go to the big city and run away from her folks. And she got there and quickly found she couldn't make a living. So she began to make a living on her bed with man after man after man. She aged quickly, grew discouraged, despaired. But she had a mom at home who would not give up on her. Her mom continued to pray for her. And her mom went into the city and looked for her, could not find her. You know what her mom did? She wrote notes on the back of pictures of mom. And mom put pictures of herself all over that city, hoping that her little girl would find one of those pictures. I want you to read where he closes with this story. He says, Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room to the picture of her mother. She removed the small note, turned it around, and this was the invitation on the back. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it does not matter. Please come home. He went on to say, that's the love of God for us. The Lord of all came searching for you because he knew you needed a savior. But it doesn't stop there. Because let me talk to the believers in the room. Maybe you come to the foot of the cross, but how many of you have found yourselves at a point where you, you're trying to live this Christian life in your own power, by your own grit, and you keep falling on your face day after day after day after day? have no power when we try on our own. In fact, that horrible list of those who had lost their love that Paul wrote about, you know where he closes? He says they have the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. There is a form of Christian religion that does not embrace Christ as Lord and Savior and does not walk in the power of the Spirit. It's all ritual and it's empty. We need the power. Of the Holy Spirit. Did you know if you're a believer, you have God the Holy Spirit living in you? Did you know that? Romans 8 9 says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. It's a package deal. There aren't some Christians that do and, and some who don't. We need His power. This is where I'm going to tell you the rest of that story and why not to drive in deep water in your vehicle. Okay, I, I knew we had an old battery because we'd had to charge it a couple times. But as I'm out driving in that deep water, we, we got off that road and headed up to the church on Viewpoint Drive, the vineyard church up there, and I was going to turn in there to turn around, and then guess what happened? The car died. Okay. I believe looking back what had happened, all those analog brake systems and stability systems that kick in when you're driving like an idiot in water, zapped whatever was left in that poor battery, and we sat there desperate. I, I opened the hood. I called Carolyn, and thankfully that she was only five minutes away. She drove up, gave us a jump, drove away, and, and we started to drive out of that parking lot. Guess what? <laughs> it died again, and by this time, my phone was dead, and I couldn't charge my phone. And so now I'm reduced to walking to the bottom of the church driveway out on Viewpoint Drive back there going like this. And 
One guy with his two kids stopped by, jumped it again, let him rev it for a while, told him what happened last time. Okay, seems good. He drives off, get, get a little further down the driveway, it dies again. <laughs> so I'm back down to the bottom of the road, and these nice steel building builders from California who were heading back because they couldn't build because of the weather were nice enough to stop, and they charged me. I, I told them what had happened, and by God's grace, their charge got me to our driveway where it, just as we pulled in, it died again, okay? Now, I think about that, and I think about a couple things. What we lacked was power, okay? And for part of that time, my first step was to try to start it by holding the brake on and pressing that button. You know what I was getting? And I thought about that. I thought, how many of us are doing that in our Christian life? And we keep running into defeat, trying to live the Christian life in our own power with no dependence or even awareness of our need for the Holy Spirit. Then I also thought about, hey, sometimes help from other people can give us a boost. But at best, it's only temporary. It's not going to give us that eternal God kind of power that we need. What I needed was what? A new battery. They had power in it, right? So the next morning, I put that new battery in. But you have to do something. You can't just set it in that engine block, right? What do you have to do? You have to connect those two wires to it. And you remember there's a positive and a negative, and, and I was thinking about that. I'm like, look, okay, all of us, if we're Christians, have the Holy Spirit under the hood, if you'll excuse the paraphrase, okay? But are we connected to him by faith? Let me talk about the, the positive side. Positively, when we connect to the positive, what's that mean? It means I depend on him. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit. Okay? It also means I spend time in the word that he inspired, learning which way to go. It means I yield to him. When he says yes, I say yes. When he says no, I say no. That's the, the positive side. What about the negative? What not to do? Don't grieve him, Paul says in Ephesians 4, by the sin in your life. Don't grieve him. Don't quench him by throwing cold water on what he wants to do in your life, in your relationships, in your church. And don't try it in your own power. Don't try anymore in your own power. Romans 8, 11, listen to the power of the risen Christ that comes through the Spirit. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen? Question as we prepare to close here. How many of you have spent any season of your life being encouraged by my utmost for his highest? J. Oswald Sanders. Do you know he went through a time where he felt barren and empty in his Christian life? I just learned that this week. And I love these stories because we sometimes think about these guys and we think, oh, that guy must never struggle. <laughs> it's not true. You talk to anybody honestly, we all struggle at times. But he was feeling barren in his Christian life. And here's his own words. He said, I was getting desperate. I knew no one who had what I wanted. In fact, I did not know what I wanted. But I knew that if what I had was all the Christianity there was, 
the thing was a fraud. That's where he was. You ever been there? Then Luke eleven thirteen got a hold of him. He began to treasure this verse. You know what it says? It says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Of course, He had the Holy Spirit. He was a Christian, but He was learning to be aware and to depend on Him. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that we have experiences in our walk with the risen Lord. Okay, here's the counterbalance to that. We can't base everything on experience. Our walk is based on the truth of the word. Because you know what happened after he decided to depend on the Holy Spirit? He said, I felt nothing. <laughs> How many of you have been there? I felt nothing. I still felt as desperate and dry as I did before. But you know what? He was asked to speak. He said after he spoke, 40 people came forward. Here's his words. He said, I came to realize that God intended me, having asked to simply take it by faith, and that power would be there. I might see it only by the backward look, but I was to reckon on the fact that God would be with me. The Holy Spirit. Let me close with a final example of his power. Some of you have heard, and I'm not going to repeat an old story, but I'm going to share a new part of it that Evan enjoys melting aluminum cans in the backyard and pouring them into his mold so they can make a nice little silver block. Well, it's been frustrating the past few weeks. We've been finding that no matter how many logs we put on that fire, we could not get those cans to melt enough to pour them in the mold and conform them to that image. So I had an idea. I started out too strong, maybe... Following the footsteps of Tim Allen, I said, I'm going to get my leaf blower out. There were injuries. I do not recommend turning a leaf blower on your fire. I think Evan and his friend got burns on their feet. But I thought, surely we can figure this out. We can scale this back. So I found the, the, the red little pump that you use to, to pump up mattresses in the garage. And I said, maybe that'll do it. So we plugged that in with the extension cord and got that air going. And you know what? We saw that fire just get glowing hot. Those coals were rip-roaring. And we saw cans melting so fast, they were, they were just shrinking down right in front of our eyes. All that, that fire needed was some more air so that we could conform those cans to the mold we wanted to. And I thought about that. You know what pneuma is in the Bible? Spirit. It's a Greek word for spirit. It's another word for breath, okay, sometimes used for wind. And I think about, like, if you're at that place where you're looking, you're like, my life is not being conformed to the image of Christ nearly as quickly as I would like it to. In fact, I'm stuck. Maybe you need more spirit, more dependence on him is a better way to put it because you got all of him, Right? Depend on the Spirit, because you can keep putting logs on in your own power. It ain't going to do it. You need to depend on the Spirit of God. Amen. Father, as we close the day, I want to circle back around to where we started. I pray that your Spirit would search our hearts right now. Show us. Evaluate our love for you. 
Where are we at? Do we, do we love you with all of our heart? Are we holding back our soul, our mind, our strength? What about our understanding of who Jesus is? Are we devoted to your word no matter what this world says? Help us not to let go of love. This world needs to see a church that practices Jesus' love among each other and to them. Help us not to let go of the truth of who Christ is in some misguided attempt to be relevant because we know that when we do that, we lose the very message this world needs. Please evaluate our hearts. If we have things to confess, let's confess them. And we'll also confess the fact that we cannot fix it on our own. We need you. We need your power. We need your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us. I thank you as we prepare for communion that the Lord of all is also the one who came seeking because he knew we needed forgiveness. We needed a Savior and Lord. We needed a Holy Spirit to dwell within us. So I pray that you prepare our hearts as, as we prepare to remember your sacrifice on that cross. We were helpless. We were dead in our sin. And you came to bring us salvation, resurrection life within. In Jesus' name, amen.